Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Location. This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. America, here comes the relief from the pain. Unapologetically, this is Lock and Load with Bill Brady. Number three, this is Lock and Load, and joining us as he does from the beautiful, uh, beautiful confines that are or is Yuma, Arizona, is writer Dean Weingarten. Good afternoon, sir. Good afternoon, Bill. I'm glad to be here. Yes, sir. Now, you wrote an article about uh, common use as far as with suppressors, which suppressors are, uh, they, they, I mean, the... Is it safe to say that there's been a suppressor craze over the course of time, recently, well, more recently? It kind of depends on where you look. In the United States, suppressors have become far more popular as inflation has made the extraordinary and draconian tax, which was $200 in 1934, equivalent of both to roughly $4,000 today. Right. Um, That made suppressors, you know, obtaining legal suppressors virtually unreasonable for anyone but the very, very wealthy or some corporations, perhaps. Uh, But as the buying power of $200 was eroded over time, uh, suppressors became more affordable to the middle class. And I would say in the last 10 years, that's translated uh, into a large numbers of suppressors being legally obtained in the United States and being used for lawful purposes. And, and people within what has become the suppressor industry went from being kind of like a an almost uh, how should I put this? Uh, individually structured and very limited production of suppressors into mass production, or at least highly automated production of extremely sophisticated suppressors in the last 10 years. And it's, there are companies out there that have specialized in this and have made it easier go through the process of getting a suppressor. They'll help you fill out your forms. They'll, they have pressured and been accepted by the ATF to find ways to electronically submit forms. And so now it may only take you a year 
to go through all the process oh. and and uh, purchase a legal suppressor. I mean, I've heard of people uh, before the ATF in the last two years cracked down on the individual manufacturer of suppressors by by requiring far more detail and uh, submission of data than what's ever required before. You could get a Form 1 to make your own suppressor, make your own suppressor, and have it uh, accepted and your tax stamp issued to you in as little as three months. So it's become much easier for people to purchase suppressors. And while for a while it wasn't too hard to make your own, it's become more difficult again. And all of this is being challenged in the courts. Because the standards that have been put into effect by the Supreme Court decisions from the Heller decision to the McDonald decision to the Catano decision to the now dominant Bruin decision. And and I would say the Bruin decision just elaborates and clarifies some of the Heller decision. It doesn't create much in the way of new law. But because the lower court the subordinate courts or the inferior courts, as it calls them in the Constitution, simply were not following Bruin. They just said, we don't like it, and we're going to create another standard than what Bruin, not Bruin, uh, excuse me, Heller said. We're going to uh, say that uh, we get to decide if there's an important government interest that is more important than the Bill of Rights, and then we'll say the Second Amendment doesn't apply. And they did that in numerous, well, in several uh, federal appellate court systems. The Ninth and the Second Circuit were particularly bad in this regard, in my opinion. Um, but what we've seen is because some of these restrictions, or rather particularly the, the financial burden of paying thousands of today's dollars for a suppressor uh, tax, down were changed through inflation that uh, we have now roughly, well, certainly over 3.1 million suppressors or silencers legally in use in the United States. Now, in the Catano decision, the Supreme Court reiterated, and really they just restated what had been said in Heller that it doesn't matter what arms were in use at when the Bill of Rights was ratified. Rather, that no, that's not the correct way to say it. What I should say is just because an arm was invented after the Bill of Rights was ratified does not mean it isn't protected. If it is a bearable arm and if it is in common use, it's protected. Now, they did say in common use for lawful purposes. So I, I suspect that if you if you look at, say, the, the Glock switches, which are often manufactured in China and illegally shipped into the United States, and there's several reasons why that is happening, or 3D printed in the United States and then used to turn a Glock pistol into a fully automatic machine pistol, 
if you look at those, you can say, well, look, they're they're in common use. I mean, there's there's thousands of them that are being confiscated by people. And that doesn't seem quite enough to mean common use, but I'll, let's go with the argument for a little bit. But they're not in common use for lawful purposes. General, they're in common use for unlawful purposes. Right. You know, you're doing drive-by shootings or shooting up a party are not lawful purposes. Right. I, I suppose you could find, you know, that sort of thing where it said they're in common use but not for lawful purposes. It's, a, it's hard, but it might be possible. So what the court said is if an arm, and it doesn't differentiate, and, and they do say a bearable arm, so presumably something you can carry around, uh, is in common use for lawful purposes. It's protected under the Second Amendment. Now, wind suppressors, they were invented about 1905, 1910. I'm trying to remember the exact date, but it was the early 1900s by Hiram Maxim. Um, he was the son of the inventor of the Maxim machine gun. And uh, he patented his designs and sold them commercially. Uh, President Teddy Roosevelt was a fan. He bought several suppressors and had them on some of his rifles. And so they were used, but their price was roughly equivalent to what a firearm at the time cost in the neighborhood of 10 to $20. Uh, and it appears they were not they were not sold in vast quantity. Right. There was a, there was a contract with the U.S. military for I think about five thousand of them uh, in World War One as training devices, but they weren't you know there weren't millions of them out there. Hang on for me if you will. We'll be right back. Talking to Dean Weingarten. This is Lock and Load. If you believe there's nothing better than the smell of freshly crafted leather, then you better check out CraftHolsters.com. A combination of high carry comfort, easy concealment, great fit, and varied holster offer. Craft Holsters are your answer to ultimate concealed carry experience. What are you waiting for? Get the same holster brand that I carry. Go to CraftHolsters.com right now and select from premium custom leather holsters for over 2,300 semi-autos and revolvers for both right- and left-handed shooters. That's CraftHolsters.com. Again, CraftHolsters.com. Welcome back. This is Lock and Load. We're talking to Dean Weingarten. And Dean, very, I mean, th this is one of these uh, sublime moments when you're sitting out there and you're looking for uh, uh, some sort of justification as why you just went through something like work through the NFA to, to do a Form 1 like I did. And along comes this article from Mr. Weingarten. He was explaining to us uh, the various 
things about suppressors on the NFA list and everything and a few other details to go along with it. So please, sir, if you would. Yeah, so originally because silencer suppressors were invented in the early 1900s, around 1905, I think, uh, there, there were not huge numbers of them in use when the uh, 1934 National Firearms Act was passed which restricted silencers and suppressors, and nobody is really quite certain as to why they were put in there, but they were. And that made it very difficult by suppressors legally because there was a $200 tax, which was like six months' pay in 1939. So going on to, through the Heller and McDonald decisions and the Caetano decision, as I started to talk about it, there was a concurrent. And they agreed with the majority decision, but they added some things by Justice Alito, and he was joined by Justice Thomas. And I have to give a shout-out to Justice Thomas because I think he is one of the best Supreme Court justices we have ever had on the Supreme Court. He is uh, just incredible. And what they said in Catano is, and the case is about electric stun guns, they said, Tasers and stun guns have been sold, and they said hundreds of thousands of them. And in the uh, court records, uh, it was noted that approximately 200,000 civilians owned stun guns in 2009. And says they are in common use, and people use them for legitimate purpose, for law-abiding purposes, for lawful purposes. Therefore, they are protected by the Second Amendment. Well, if 200,000 stun guns are in common use, you would think over 3 million suppressors would be in common use. (laughs) Yes. I would think so. Yes. And so there is a court case going on in Texas right now where the AG, who is now under lawfare attack in Texas, has started a court case uh, that um, challenges the federal authority uh, to require this $200 tax for suppressors. And we expect some sort of ruling by the initial judge fairly soon. June 15th, I think they were supposed to submit the last brief before he uh, came out with a decision. And so it could happen any day. Um, And there were cross motions for summary judgment um, that he was looking at, and the judge was Mark Pittman, who has been pretty good on the Constitution and Second Amendment cases, as far as I can tell. So it will be very interesting to see what he comes out with. Now, another thing that is uh, being contested rather hotly at the moment is this whole idea of short-barreled rifles. And short-barreled rifles were another thing that was uh, that you had to get a $200 tax uh, to obtain legally after 1934. Uh, they were part of that uh, National Firearms Act that was passed in 1934. But they were only added in as kind of a superfluous add-on because a Minnesota congressman did not, well, whether he did or didn't, he played the fool in getting them uh, added to the bill. 
short-barreled rifles were not originally included. And pistols with stocks added were not officially included until 1961. Right. And there were a lot of short-barreled rifles sold, particularly 22 single shots as boys' rifles and bicycle rifles and some higher-powered rifles for more specialty purposes were special ordered through Marlin and Winchester and such. Sure. Uh, uh, previously, so the idea of short-barreled rifles, and they were in common use at the time that the 1934 law was passed. So it strikes me that banning this whole class of firearms, which is to say firearms with a rifled barrel and a shoulder stock, where the barrel is less than 16 inches, uh, just fails the obvious teller test, which is, are they in common use? Are they used for lawful purposes? Well, I think there's, gosh, I'm trying to remember, the last time I looked, I think there's about six or 700,000 short-barreled uh, rifles that have been uh, legally tax-stamped in the United States, there's not as many as there are suppressors. Right. But there's a fair number of them, and the fact that they were in common use before the NFA, I think, makes it even more plausible that they, that part of the NFA, National Firearms Act, should be struck down as unconstitutional. But I don't see a direct uh, court case challenging short-barreled rifles at the moment. I see court cases challenging the idea that uh, the ATF can say pistol braces are short-barreled rifles if you have one and have a pistol that will accept the brace together. Uh, that's being challenged in the courts, and I think that there is a good chance that the um, government will lose the, that case, and to me that appears a stepping stone to the idea that the whole concept of short-barreled rifles, and, and I would add short-barreled shotguns, uh, be, should be removed as uh, part of these, these classes of weapons on which we put exorbitant taxes and create difficult and costly procedures to go through in order to possess them. Uh, and it, you, you cannot logically argue. I mean, I, they try, but you can't logically argue that a single shot 22 with a 14 inch barrel and a shoulder stock is much more dangerous than a 15 shot Glock 10 millimeter. You just can't. I mean, there, there's no logic to it. When you add a shoulder stock to a pistol, you're not making the pistol more powerful. You're making it less concealable. And most of the push to restrain arms from the 1934 law, most of that was a push to restrain arms which were concealable. There wasn't any push to prevent arms from becoming less concealable. Hang on right there. Hang on right there, if you will. We'll continue this simply because I'm living in that world now. 
This article is at Ameland.com, originally published on the 23rd of June. Well worth looking for the read. We'll be right back. This is Lock and Load. I've seen just about every corner of this country, three million miles in my career. I spend a lot of hours on the road, but I love being my own boss. The road can be a beautiful place, but you're out here on your own. There certainly are risks. I'm Charles. I'm a truck driver, a husband, and a father. And that's why I choose Federal. When it comes to online gun shops, Primary Arms is one of America's largest retailers of new firearms, parts, accessories, and gear. They stock over 600 popular brands, all with everyday low prices and fast shipping. If you ever have any questions about a product, their team of product experts will help you make the right purchase. So, don't settle for less. Visit PrimaryArms.com today and see why so many gun owners make it their first destination for all of their firearms needs. For over 25 years, Aero Precision has paved the way as a leading manufacturer of American-made AR parts. Aero Precision caters to the rifle builder by engineering quality receivers, hand guards, and other essential parts. Aero Precision's added enhancements create a smooth build process from start to finish for beginners and seasoned builders. Whether this is your first rifle or your 50th, Aero Precision offers everything you need to make a quality AR at an affordable price. In the 21st century, the handgun has become the preeminent self-defense tool. At CNH Precision, we specialize in taking your weapon to the highest degree of functionality possible with a complete array of goods and services specializing in red dot sight installation. CNH Precision will help you realize the most effective handgun the first time. If you need slide milling, installation, or accessories, go to chpws.com. CNH Precision. Welcome to the Boom Squad. At Chambers Custom, we have one job. We strive to build the most obsessively reliable, accurate, and beautiful pistols for the discriminating gun owner. Using the ageless 1911 design with a 21st century approach to each part and component, Chambers Custom meticulously begins each pistol as a standalone project, creating a bespoke, handcrafted, peerless firearm. They integrate all of the internal, external, and intrinsic elements that make a custom 1911 unit. Go to ChambersCustom.com. Chambers Custom, truly the mechanical advantage. At Spikes Tactical, we are all shooters with a very simple mission. Make the best product we can perfect at the best possible price for our consumers. We strive to produce the best components and rifles available with quality control second to none because real-world events don't allow for a second chance. Whether you are an operator, competitor, or home defender, Spikes Tactical will serve you well. Go to SpikesTactical.com. Spikes Tactical, 100% American-made to the highest standard. such thing as a fair fight, and we bring the unfair advantage that is the 2011 platform. Dominate. At Staccato, we know the most important gun you own is the one that you're carrying when you're facing that threat to life and freedom. Win. We want you to enter that objective, confidence that you are carrying the best gun in the gunfight. No compromise. No sacrifice. Staccato2011.com. Stand ready to face down the darkness with 2011. 
Holster.com, the home of DeSantis Quality Built American Made Products for 45 plus years. Supporting police and government contracts from first responders to responsible citizens. Holster.com is your source for quality American made leather and Kydex holsters for the armed American. For concealed carry or open carry, Holster.com has what you need. We didn't invent concealment, we perfected it. Go to Holster.com now and buy a DeSantis holster today. What's in a name? If that name is Ace Firearms, you've just entered a very expensive business. First, a fully appointed gun shop with all the guns, ammo, and accessories you could possibly imagine. But then you enter the manufacturing facility that is home to Red Alligator Concealment, Militia Arms Customs, and so much more. Ace Firearms is beyond a simple gun shop. This is a totally peerless operation. To find out more, go to acefirearms.com. Ace Firearms. This is only the beginning. At MGS, we have what it takes to reinvent yourself. With a curriculum designed to balance work, family, and a gun repair education, MGS provides the gateway into one of the fastest-growing segments of the gun industry. Modern Gun School's mission is to provide high-quality distance education using time-tested materials and hands-on projects designed to develop a proficiency in both the technique and the business of gunsmithing. Go to mgs.edu. MGS Trade School. Your future is waiting. Welcome back. We are talking with Dean Weingarten. We're talking about the NFA, the suppressors, and we didn't really, uh, you haven't been looking at the fully automatic weapons because that's a whole different category altogether, but uh, talking about suppressors, which are obviously in common use. Um, now, one question for you, this this whole thing with uh, the, the pistol brace, do you think that in time that some smart lawyer will get out there, some one of these gun rights organizations, and say, you know, it's pretty stupid that they said this was okay for 10 years, which is very indicative that they're sitting here thinking they've got short barrel rifles out there. For 10 years, there have been all these unfettered short barrel rifles. Why do they need to be on the uh, on the NFA registry? Do you think I that's- think that argument is being made. I've seen it made by some representatives in Congress saying, this doesn't make any sense. They're not getting as much press as those who claim that adding a stock to a pistol makes it more powerful, as President Biden recently claimed, which makes no sense at all. Right. It might make it more accurate, but why would you want to have a weapon less accurate? It appears to me a weapon that is less accurate is of greater... uh, danger to society in general. I would think you'd want more accurate weapons. Right. Uh, this is a, it's a, an argument where the other side really doesn't have anything to go on to make a logical argument. They just are going on the general premise, uh, which is common on the, those who wish to disarm us, that guns are bad. If we have less guns, we have less bad. Now, it's it doesn't hold up under scrutiny. There's been a lot of research done on this over the last 20 or 30 years, and we just don't see any significant correlation between the number of legal guns in society 
the number of illegal guns in society and the murder rate or suicide rate in society. They just don't correlate. You know, you can have China, which has supposedly 50 million illegal guns in it. So that's what they found in the small arms survey out of uh, Switzerland. And yet they claim to have extremely low homicide rates. Or you can have India, which after the United States supposedly has the most guns of any country in the world, about over 85% of them illegal guns. And yet their homicide rates are a little less than the United States, but not huge differences. Or you can have Brazil, where they've got lots of illegal guns, relatively few legal guns, kind of similar situation to India. Most of the illegal guns, or many of them are homemade, and they have horrendous homicide rates, way more, like three, four times what the United States has. And then you have the United States, where you've got the most guns of any country in the world per capita, and homicide rates that are a little bit less than average for the whole world. Which makes sense to me, because we've got people from the whole world living here with all kinds of different mix of cultures and and uh, various iterations of moral codes and such. So the idea that we have a homicide rate that's a little bit less than the average seems kind of reasonable for the United States. So there just isn't, they don't have good logic here. What they have is basically shouting over and over, guns are bad, guns are bad, guns are bad. Well, it isn't necessarily true. I mean, it isn't true when you look at the details. And uh, they don't like to look at the details. Or if they do, they cook the books and I would call it lying with statistics by looking at extremely small cases and small time frames and small numbers of places to claim during that particular period, a particular crime went up. But it doesn't advance their case very well. But most people don't have the time to read dozens and hundreds of papers and studies as I have done or to take, you know, to be very busy at it for the past 50 years. Gosh, 50 years. It's been a while. It has. Um, but fortunately, we see that uh, the arguments, logic and reason and and literal understanding of the Constitution are having an effect, and we're winning in many of these cases, and the Supreme Court is now starting to rule uh, in favor of restoring Second Amendment rights. Well, I guess I guess we're going to see. I, I kind of think uh, this was sort of a this was the, it you know I look at the transgender thing going out on out there and the general general discussions that go on, and that has had a very disruptive thing as far as people just laying pat and just saying, oh, okay, well another thing for us to tolerate. Now everybody's coming up and getting up in arms. Uh, I kind of look at this pistol brace thing as on top of the on top of the bump stock thing. It, it sort of caused a sense of outrage in that it's almost ex post facto, isn't it? Yes, it is. I mean, and and courts have have mentioned this at the appeals court level. They said, look, you can't have a agency who are supposed to be experts for ten years say there's no problem here. 
it's perfectly legal. And right. then a change of administration and suddenly, oh, no, it's not. And we can't tell you exactly what's legal and what isn't, but we'll know it when we see it. So turn your stuff in or destroy it and, you know, everything will be okay. And if you file the proper forms with us and fingerprints and photographs and all that, we'll, we won't charge you the $200 tax for a while, or at least not this time right away. Right. So the courts look at that and they say, no, you, that's, you can't have a rule of law where the agency that arrests and prosecutes you says, oh, we didn't, you know, we were, we told you, we lied. You know, we said that was legal, but we've decided we were wrong and it really isn't. So those 30, 20, 30, 40 million people who have them, turn them in. I mean, that's directly opposite of what the rule of law is supposed to be. The rule of law is supposed to be that it's consistent and you can understand it and you could decide to follow the law or to break it. And if you break it, there are certain penalties. Well, if you can't trust what the rule of law is from one year to the next, because not because Congress changed the law, but because an agency in the executive branch decided to change the way they interpreted the law, there is no real rule of law anymore. It's just ruled by dicta. Indeed. 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 Now, we could segue and finish up with this if you want to in the coming uh coming segment because uh we had a vote on the on the pistol brace thing coming out of the uh, house of representatives and then it got taken up by the senate and uh i'd like to get your impression on these things but i mean my first thought about this this vote for me yeah i, I just wondered why they did it at all well i think there are good political reasons for doing it um Got to first off, it's a good virtue signaling vote. Oh yeah, it, you know the people who um, who want to let their uh, citizens, uh, you know, their constituents, know that they really love the Second Amendment. Um, they uh, want to have a vote to show that they do. Uh, and it's all the easier for them if that vote doesn't really accomplish much, if it doesn't really have to be passed. Now, votes like this do have consequences because people pay attention, and organizations who work hard to protect Second Amendment rights keep track, and they let their members know, and it gets harder to vote the opposite way Hang on. if it comes up again. Hang on again. Pick this up on the other side. Talking to Dean Langard, and we'll be right back. This is Lock and Load. time on the firing line and we are this is lock and load speaking with uh dean weingarten and we just brought we we've gotten out to the vote on the uh pistol braces and you were saying that it was 
important to do that, but at the same time, it was sort of a virtue signal. I would, and I agree, but I would also say it used to be important to do that if you actually planned on doing it and you were doing it as a campaign sort of a a campaign uh, experiment to show what what you would do if you actually were in charge yeah. of anything. And we we sort of we sort of burned that with uh, the Obamacare thing, didn't we? When uh, when when Trump was elected. Well, I think it's still one of those things that is in in the mix when people vote out there. And and so it's virtue signaling probably doesn't have as much power as it did, say, 10 years ago. But it still has some power. And we're in a situation now where most of the country no longer believes the major media on political issues. And that doesn't necessarily mean that everybody believes conservative uh, outlets more than leftist ones. It just means that there is a pretty large segment of the population that is has become much more skeptical about political information, which is probably a very good thing. Now, the other side of this is that if you fracture the policy you know, the people who make up the political entity of the United States, too much people get so cynical, they don't participate in uh, civil affairs. They don't, they think everything is hopeless. They don't uh, vote. They just allow those who have seized power to continue to have power. Right. And uh, that would be a bad thing. So I hope, and it is hope, it's certainly not a certainty right. that enough people are becoming skeptical enough of the people in power to toss them out generally and to put into place people who will restore the Constitution and clean house. I mean, what we are seeing in stories that are very credible is probably the worst uh, example of corruption that has ever existed in the United States. Ever. I mean, we have credible information that the President of the United States has taken money directly from American enemies in order to do what the um, the Communist Party of China wants him to do. I mean, we have his son in an email claiming, now I admit the son is not the most credible source, right. drug addict, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, but it's his son, which President Biden has placed into uh, positions where he can affect uh, and negotiate with uh, the Chinese communists, took him along on several trips, and he says in an email, apparently bragging about it. Now, I hope I get this quote close, that uh, we have, we are the most effective uh, people who, in uh, following the will of Chairman Z as exists. That's damning. I mean, can you imagine if President Trump's son had said something like that? Right. And it's there's no question that he said it or that he wrote it, it's an email. I mean, that, that is beyond 
doubt that he did it, and it's beyond doubt that he received millions of dollars from various foreign governments for uh, their proxies. This is unprecedented. There's, there's never been anything close to this. I cannot think of any other president who came even remotely close uh, to this level of corruption. I'm, I'm trying to think, what's the next most corrupt president? Well, okay, I, I, I will say it's possible if we get much more information that is now being hidden, we might find that Barack Obama fits in there. You know, he just might be, he doesn't have any drug-addicted sons or daughters who are letting notebooks lying around as proof, uh, not notebooks, uh, computer note uh, books and computer tablets or books or um, notebooks lying around with all this detailed, extensive evidence of corruption. I mean, so I maybe Barack Obama is just better at not making stupid mistakes like this. I mean, it's I don't think there's anyone who would make the claim that Joe Biden is smarter than Barack Obama. Barack just didn't make all the silly and stupid mistakes that Joe Biden seems to make all the time. Now, it's possible that uh, President Biden is suffering from various age-related mentalities, but I can tell you I followed Joe a president, now President Biden's career, for 40 years. And it was 40 years ago when I discovered that he was a thoroughly corrupt individual. So it's not like this is particularly new to Joe Biden, but he doesn't, he seems to have lost the ability to lie as effectively as he once was able to. And he doesn't have a good reputation for being a really good liar at any time. So it's certainly possible that if we clean out the FBI and we clean out the CIA and we <laughs> clean out the uh, NSA and we find all the records that haven't been destroyed, right. they might implicate President Biden and he might be more corrupt than, uh, not Biden, uh, they might implicate President Obama. And he might be more corrupt than President Biden, but the, the, that evidence is not at present uh, shown or available. I it, it just seems utterly impossible that we would ever find such about President Trump because he's been so extensively investigated by the highest levels of the uh, intelligence agencies who went to great lengths to create crimes and attribute them to him. Right. So if he had real corruption that could be attributed, it would be shown already. But it's just not there. Well, I, I think what we would find, uh, you know, if we want to compare Biden and Obama, Obama was a Marxist, and he is a Marxist, and he absolutely is about all things uh, transformative of America, and he's he, he he's quite he, he's more like Stalin because he looks at some of the silly stuff that goes on with, within the left, 
and I, I'm almost certain that if he had a chance, he would put a stop to it in a very brutal way because it slows down the role of, of the actual Marxist uh, stuff they want to go through. But Biden is more of like a crime syndicate. He's like, a, you know, he's, he's like. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think you're correct. I I suspect that. But we do see that President Obama became very wealthy while in the White House. Too. Yeah. Well, I mean, after he got out, I mean, he, uh, you know, by, by Obama lives in a lot of mansions and he owns none of them. He he has he has control he has control of a couple of well, companies that have holdings, like, you know, presidential right? library committees or something like that. Right, but I mean, uh, the other thing that is going around right now, and I, I've looked into it, and on one hand they say no, that's not true, and everything. Have you ever heard the story about him and his stolen social security number? I've heard that numerous times, and I've been hearing it for over ten years. Yeah, so uh, I I was hearing that before he was elected. Right. And so, there seems to be some substance to it. Well, he has a, he has an uncommon number, and he he existed in a time when he got his Social Security card when the number was based on where you lived when you applied for the card. So you know that that's interesting too. We have run out of time. Will you? Would I be able to get you back at the beginning of the week again? You're going to be on the road. I uh, well, I will be on the road. Um, huh, let's see. We're talking Monday. Oof. I, it, we'll figure it I out. I expect to be in northern Wisconsin, so we'll have to work it out. We'll, we'll work it out. Thank you for joining me today. It's always a pleasure. As for me, I'll be back on Monday. And between now and then, remember this, it has never been about gun control. Not once, not ever. It has been, it's always going to be, about total control. This has been Lock and Load. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.